Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Welcome to Unfair with your favorite solo host, Jimmy. You could have been doing anything else in the world, but you chose to listen to us, and we appreciate that. It's solo weekend, so I will take the wheel myself to navigate you through the sports landscape of the hottest topics, late-breaking news, things that make no sense, and a few things that just might surprise you. And as always, you can catch us on WMQG Radio throughout the week. My solo weekend episode is sponsored by Clutch Culture, as always. In life, there are moments when you are needed the most, and Clutch Culture is aspiring to bring you just that. With hats and t-shirts available to remind folks who's clutch and who isn't, you can bring that culture into your lifestyle by checking out their website, www.clutch-culture.com. All right, so we got a few things we want to get into today. Uh, Obviously, the Frozen Five. I'm going to give you the five best NFL picks for week four. Did a lot of research this week, Uh, a lot of analysis. I have some instincts, some foresight, hopefully some things that will help us to churn out another winning week. Jay went three and two last week for the second time this year. Did an excellent job. I went two and three in my last Frozen Five, so I look to get on the winning track for the first time this season. But before I get to that, uh, there is just one quick thing I want to mention. You know, we started this podcast, Jay and I, back in, I believe it was August of 2017, which is when we went live, which is... Wow, it's crazy to imagine how it was that long ago. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago. But um, in the creation of that show, you know, he played his part. I played mine. We both have put in a lot of work since then. We've had, you know, some help from outside people. And when you create something and it evolves over time, you realize or you start to naturally evolve what your role is in said enterprise, especially if you're working or working equally with others. And what I found out early on is that part of what my role is on this show is or what I made my role is, in a sense, to be the hammer. It's in a sense to be the the bad guy, to be the guy who tells you things about these athletes that you love or tells them about themselves, things that they don't want to hear. And obviously, I should have guessed that I was going to do that because by trade, I'm a therapist. So I'm used to confronting people about their BS. I'm used to pointing things out in their behavior or in their thought processes or in their emotions that they don't see, things that they don't want to hear, things that are causing them distress that the people around them either don't see or enable them or just gloss right over and pretend like it's not that big of a deal because they are afraid to or don't know how to confront them. So there are a lot of things that I've seen in professional sports uh, as a part of just doing this show and looking at sports in a deeper way. And a lot of it has made me love and appreciate and enjoy sports even more. But then there are things that I see athletes do or repeat over and over and over again that people 
just let them off the hook for. And there are things that I just can't do that. So there are athletes that I tend to come back to over and over again because I hear what they say in the media. I see what they do. I read into what their intentions are. I understand where they're coming from. But a lot of times that forces me to have to be that hammer to confront them to call them on their BS and help them to understand that this is a part of what's causing you problems in your career. Because I noticed that the athletes that I tend to go after are the ones who don't really ever seem to actualize their full potential or don't seem to win as much as their talent or their greatness would, I guess, naturally dictate. So that's a big part of what I'm here to do today. And in order to do that, I want to talk about, I want to talk about leadership. So for a great player, Leadership may be the most valuable and tangible that a star or a superstar can have. Um, you know, a leader, a big part of what they have to be is they have to be mature. Oftentimes, in order to lead a team, you need to be the most mature player in the locker room and the hardest working. You need to get there before everybody else does, and you need to leave long after everyone else has left. Uh, but maturity cannot be understated when it comes to leadership, and that maturity is generally displayed through that athlete's work, through what they say in the media, through what they say in their press conferences, before and after games, before and after practices, and including and especially on social media. So with the NBA, an NBA star's word, as I said, is most on display through the media. So if they use their word, how they use their word will determine just how good of a leader they are or how easier or how harder they make things for themselves and for their team. So that's, you could say that equals poor leadership when they misuse their word in the media. So I say that to say, and there's somebody who I've seen do this constantly, and at times it's innocent ways, but I've seen it add up to what I saw this past week, and that's Joel Embiid and the 76ers. Now, we know that they've been embroiled in drama all offseason, primarily because of Ben Simmons, because of how he played in that uh, second-round series against the Hawks, refusing to shoot the ball, embarrassing himself. He hit rock bottom, and the team didn't know what to do after that. Doc Rivers said this, then he said that. Daryl Morey said this, then he said that. Joel Embiid, for the most part, remained silent, but in the last month he's been more vocal as we've gotten closer and closer to training camps in the NBA, which which has now started. So early in this month, after really saying nothing at all, all offseason about this Ben Simmons controversy, because you knew that part of what the 76ers were at least going to try to do is to show Ben Simmons that they still cared about him, show show him that they still had a plan for him, and show them that they still wanted him to be a part of a team and believe that he could still help this team win a championship. So for the most part, Joel Embiid said nothing. So earlier this month, he actually went after the media. He explained the media for this perceived rift that I guess there has been between he and Ben Simmons for the last three or four years, that they don't play well together, that they don't like each other. And he said that he loves playing with Ben Simmons, that they they work well together, that they can win a championship, and that he wants him as a part of the team. And when Jay and I talked about this, part of what I said is that he's probably saying that now because he knows that there either is no good deal on the table for Ben Simmons or what they're thinking about getting in return for him is a player or players that he knows don't equal the uh, the greatness, minus the shooting woes, but the greatness on defense and moving the ball, passing the ball, um, the size, just being a unicorn. That He knows that there's nobody that they have coming in that can equal that. So then he was like, all right, well, I guess I need to keep Ben Simmons, the lesser of two evils per se. So he was very effusive in his praise about Ben Simmons and wanting him to be a part of this team. 
And within a couple of weeks of training camp, which began this week, earlier this week, uh, Doc Rivers, again, he praised upon him after having said nothing for months. And he was part of the one who got this fiasco started when he first looked like he didn't believe that Ben Simmons could be the point guard of this team and then double back and said, oh, no, we have a plan for him. We want him to be a part of this team. Same with management, same with this report that the players leaked that they wanted to go down to L.A. to meet with Ben Simmons, and he rebuffed them, saying that he didn't want to meet with them and that his mind was made up. So now that we got closer to camp and it became more real and more serious what this team was going to look like without Ben Simmons, then they tried to really you know, cater to, to his emotions and say they want him to be a part of the team. The things they should have been saying throughout this whole offseason, the same things that Joel Embiid, if he's a leader of this team, knowing that he wanted him back, should have been saying all offseason. But now it's too late. Now it is too late. She has packed up her stuff. She's moved out, and she is not coming back. And it doesn't matter what they say or what they do. That's exactly what's going to happen. So a couple of days ago, what Joel Embiid had to say about Ben Simmons was far different than what he had said uh, a few weeks before that and about a month before that, saying that it was borderline disrespectful and that it was wrong for Ben Simmons, who stayed true to his word, for him to not come to camp. And he was very angry, very upset with Ben Simmons, to which I thought if Ben Simmons was going to, if he was leaning towards maybe coming to camp and trying to work this out, hearing the star of the team, Joel Embiid, say this, now double back on all that praise and now criticize him for doing what he already told him he was going to do, he has totally squashed that. Any equity, any shred of possibility that Ben Simmons was going to come back to this team was crushed by Joel Embiid. And I know that the 76ers management cannot be happy with this. But this is part, a part of what, what Joel Embiid does. He trolls people on social media. He trolls people on the court. He likes to be this big goofball that, I don't know if he learned this or not, did not work for Dwight Howard because after a while the jokes aren't funny anymore and after a while the joke isn't on you. The joke is you. And so he gets himself into trouble because he oftentimes gets too emotional and he was the same one crying on the court as after the Toronto Raptors put them out of the playoffs a couple of seasons ago, that season where Kawhi and Kyle Lowry led them to a championship over the Golden State Warriors, which I guess Joel Embiid didn't know that either, that there's no crying on the court in professional basketball. You wait to the locker room to do that. So, so still, he's, he's emotional. He's immature. He's not a good leader. Fantastic player. I mean, obviously one of the greatest skill sets we've ever seen at the center position. So this has absolutely nothing to do with the player that he is on the court. He's a fantastic player, but it's not so much about that when it comes to being a leader. It's about the other intangibles off the court. And he has constantly misused his word in the media, which is what he has done now. And a big part of the reason why he did this is because uh, earlier this week, I think right as training camps were starting, there were reports that Ben Simmons was saying part of the reason why he doesn't want to come back is because he doesn't want to play with Joel Embiid. Their, their play styles don't fit, which is something that everybody else has been saying. Joel Embiid clogs the lane for Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons brings people into the lane, clogging things up for him to work in the post, which is what he really wants to do. So then it was after that that Joel Embiid got emotional and spewed all this out in the media, probably pissing off the management when they probably have been trying to work things out. But now there's no chance of that, and that's what I'm talking about. A leader, how they use their word, you can't let emotion dictate how you're going to use your word in this type of fashion because now they truly understand what they're facing. They truly understand that without Ben Simmons, this is a play-in team. I know they were the – I think they were the number one seed last year, I believe, uh, and the Nets were too. This is a play-in team without Ben Simmons because without him, if Joel Embiid, who's always an injury away of missing a month, 
And Tobias Harris, who gives you 20, maybe 25, and that's it. Without Ben Simmons, this team is not better than the Nets, the Bucks, the Hawks, the Heat, the Celtics, the Bulls, or the Raptors. That's seven teams right there, okay? So you're playing for an 8-10 to 10 spot without him. And now they realize that, and they don't know what to do, and they know that they're probably not going to be able to get fair – compensation in a sense players draft picks whatever it is for Ben Simmons and a big part of the reason why is because of what Joel Embiid has said so this thing is going to be just as messy as probably the Deshaun Watson situation and I know that his legal troubles Deshaun Watson play a large role in what's going on in Houston but either way there he's not going to come to camp he's going to be docked Ben Simmons $227,000 per game check and this is just going to drag on and on and on. And the organization is going to do that for a reason because that's uh, the more they dock him, obviously, the less that they have to pay him. And that's kind of what they're wanting to help get out from under. They're already withholding the $8.3 million that he was due had he come to camp on yesterday, Friday, October 1st. So it's just a messy situation. They're going to constantly have to answer questions about it, which means that there are going to be more and more opportunities for Joel Embiid to say the wrong emotional thing and make things tougher for his organization. So when he gets nicked up and when he has a hamstring injury or an ankle issue that keeps him out for two to three weeks and they go on a losing streak, then he comes back, they may not be even in contention for a play-in spot. So this is going to be bad. And I think a big part of the reason why this is going to be bad is because not only Joel Embiid, but Doc Rivers and the management exercised poor leadership when it came to how to handle Ben Simmons. You had him right where you wanted him. He hit rock bottom on his own. Full display in front of everybody showed that he was afraid to shoot the ball, afraid to dunk the ball. He had nowhere to run. That was the time to embrace him. That was the time to truly put your arms around him and help him to change. He was ready to change, but instead you did the opposite or you were inconsistent with how you handled him. Now he doesn't want to be there. Now you're in a crappy spot. Now your star, Joel Embiid, is saying the wrong things in the media. And you know Philly doesn't stand for this. Philly fans do not stand for this. So what they're about to see this season from the Sixers is going to be even worse. Those 76ers players, and for a lot of them outside of Joel Embiid, you know, they don't deserve what's about to happen to them, but they're not going to be able to go out to get a cheesesteak or go to the club or even want to come to the arena because everywhere they go, that Philly fan base is going to pummel them for what has happened and for what is about to happen on the court. So who gets the praise when the team does well and when the team excels? The star. Maybe the coach. Front office somewhat, but it's always the star. So therefore, when the team doesn't perform well, who's going to take the majority of the criticism? Joel Embiid. And when he starts to take this criticism – you have not seen the level of immaturity, the level of, of emotionality that you are about to see from him. He's not going to handle it well. This season is going to be a disaster for this team, almost as much of a disaster as it looks like the Philadelphia Eagles season is going to be. I don't know how the Phillies are doing. I haven't checked the standings, but I mean, if they're having a bad season, this is just a part of it. This is maybe just a sucky time to be a Philly sports fan. But at least now we know who to blame about what's about to happen in Philadelphia. All right, we do this every week, Frozen 5, NFL Best Bets for Week 4. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Jay went 3-2 and two last week. He went 3-2 and two in Week 1. I went 2-3 and three in Week 2, so that gives us a record of, I believe, 8-8, eight and eight, so we're about at 500. We are at 500. So my job this week is to get us, keep us back on the winning track. I've got some picks that I feel really, really good about this week. I'm going... In some uh, some different angles this week as well. So this is you know, something I feel good about. So without further ado, this is Frozen 5 Week 4 NFL Best Bets. 
But first, we have the Seahawks at the 49ers. The 49ers are a minus three-point favorite. And I'm going to take the Seahawks plus the three. Uh, Russ always plays well against the 49ers. And I know this as a 49ers fan. It's made me pull my hair out. It's like Brett Favre all over again. He's always beating us. In 18 career games versus San Francisco, Russ has thrown for 32 touchdowns to only nine picks, a career 14-4 record straight up versus them, and 12-2 and straight up versus the spread. He owns this team. Now, Seattle, I know they've lost two in a row, so that means they're desperate to get a win. They cannot go to 1-3 and three in this division, and the Niners are going to help them out because they have some young corners out there due to some injuries in the secondary who cannot keep up, not going to be able to keep up with DK Metcalf and especially Tyler Lockett, just like they couldn't keep up with the Green Bay receivers. Just one of them. Couldn't keep up with Devontae Adams on Sunday night. That was a big part of the reason why they lost that game. I think it's going to be uh, Seattle's going to put up some points early. They're going to force Jimmy G into a, the kind of game he doesn't want to be in, the kind of game where he has to beat them with his arm. So that's going to cause him to struggle and, and give him a book uh, at least once. Uh, George Kittle, we know is banged up. He may be a game-time decision. The run game for the 49ers is banged up. The secondary is banged up. So everything is there for the Seahawks to win this game comfortably. 30-33, to a 33, not needing the plus three. Panthers at the Cowboys. The Cowboys are a minus four-point favorite, and I'm going to take the Cowboys minus the four and a half. Uh, I'm pretty convinced that Dallas is for real. They've played some tough games early on, um, have been about as battle-tested as you can be this early in the season, and that Dallas defense is better. They're young. They're hungry. Um, they have two up-and-coming stars in Parsons and Diggs, and they get turnovers. They're plus five in the turnover margin, which I believe is best in the NFL, so that's impressive for Dallas. Uh, they played a much tougher schedule, like I mentioned, compared to the Panthers, who honestly don't have a quality win, even though they're 3-0. and So they're kind of fooling people a little bit. And I know that Panthers' defense is good, but with no C-Mac and with Trevon Diggs blanketing their best receiver, who's been – DJ Moore. Uh, Sam Darnold is not going to beat this Dallas team throwing to Robbie Anderson and Terrace Marshall. So I think Dallas wins. It's going to be a bit of a close one. Uh, that line is what it is for a reason. So I think Dallas wins this at home 25 to 20, covering the four and a half. Up next, we have the Ravens at the Broncos. The Broncos are a minus one point favorite, and I'm going to take the Broncos minus the one. Uh, this is basically a pick'em, And I think, you know, this Ravens team, they've kind of been fooling people too. They got some you know, some fantastic breaks. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire fumble here. A record field goal by Justin Tucker to beat the Lions there. They could be 0-3. So I don't really believe in this Baltimore team, especially after they lost Marcus Peters to begin the season, making it tougher for them on defense. And that altitude in Denver is going to be a problem. It always is in the second half where it starts to tire the Ravens players out quicker, and they are going to have to figure out a way to overcome that, and I don't think they will. This Ravens team, because of all the injuries at running back, have had an inconsistent run game. I know Lamar Jackson is still their lead rusher, but outside of that, um, there really isn't anybody that they consistently have leaned on. And speaking of Lamar rushing, I don't like this back injury that he's been nursing. I think Friday was the first day that he actually had a quality practice, so I don't like this back injury. This could easily He could easily take the wrong shot from a Von Miller or someone like that and have to miss some plays or be out of the game. So I'm nervous about that. The Broncos team, three straight covers, and they have speed on defense. This has been one of the best defenses so far in football. So if you like analytics, I got analytics. Broncos, number five in DVOA, defensive DVOA, and the Ravens are number 13. So, yes, the Broncos on defense, I'm sorry, they're better than them. Steady Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater, 76% completion or better in each of his games as a Bronco. Uh, this is going to be an ugly one. Obviously, the Ravens, they fight, fight, fight. Um, this is a you know, playoff caliber team. So I think the Broncos win in a bit of an ugly one, 27 to 24, covering the one. Cardinals at the Rams. The Rams are a minus four and a half point favorite, and I am taking the Rams minus the four and a half. I am a believer. Uh, weird stat. 
if you took this minus four and a half, I came up with this. You took this minus four and a half, and you applied it to the last eight matchups between Arizona and the Rams. Arizona would be 0-8 versus the spread against the Rams, which means that Sean McVay has owned Cliff Kingsbury. With this Rams defense, the way that they're playing and the way that they were able to play against probably maybe the best offensive football, the Bucks, I think they're going to turn Kyler Murray over at least two times. Kyler's a bit of a maverick. He uh, He's a gunslinger in a sense, so he'll take some risks that he probably shouldn't take. And you can't do this with Jalen Ramsey out there or with Aaron Donald chasing you all over the field. So Arizona, I mean, Arizona I'm sorry, it's not going to be able to run on this team. And that's going to force more dropbacks and more turnover opportunities for the Rams secondary. You have Ramsey shutting down your best receiver, obviously, uh, Nuke Hopkins. And then you have Aaron Donald, who's going to give your O-line fits all game long. And this Cardinals O-line, they're pretty good, but they're not good enough. I mean, whose offensive line is really good enough to slow down Aaron Donald? Uh, the Rams are playing the best football in the NFL. I'm sorry. So this is going to be a fun game to watch. The Rams are going to pull away late. They're going to win this game 35-26, to 26, covering the four and a half. Lastly, we have the Vikings at home against the Browns. The Browns are a minus two-point favorite, and I'm going to take the Vikings plus the two. Uh, the Vikings are better than you think. I know they're one and two, but those first two games were decided by four points, so they could have easily been three and oh. Uh, the Vikes can really, they can handle really good offenses as they showed last week. They held the Seattle Seahawks to just 17 points at home, and at home, obviously, a much better team. And Kirk Cousins, believe it or not, as much as we make fun of him, believe it or not, he has been one of the best quarterbacks in football through three weeks. Eight touchdowns, no picks, seventh in passing yards, second in QBR, 74% completion percentage. So he's probably playing the best football of his career. I don't know if it's going to continue after this week, but he is going to be able to do that this week as well. And think about this Browns defense. A few weeks ago, Tyrod Taylor, before his injury, was giving this Browns team fits. So if he is capable of doing that, I believe Kirk Cousins and these weapons that he has around him, some of the best in football, can do the exact same thing. So forget this Browns game against Chicago. That was just poor game planning by Matt Nagy. Uh, don't let that fool you. And the Browns have some injuries, too, that they got to take care of. Uh, your left tackle's nicked up. Your One of your best corners is nicked up. Your best wide receiver, Jarvis Landry, is not going to be there. Uh, he'll be back soon. So you're going to have to lean on OBJ, who's just, what, this will be his second game off of an ACL. And I think the Vikes are going to get back their Pro Bowl running back, Dalvin Cook. Uh, hopefully they get back Michael Pierce, who they need for run defense, as well as Anthony Barr, who hasn't played yet this season. So I think they'll get one of those two back, which will help the defense. I think the Vikings win in a shocker at home and really start to put people on notice that they're better than people think. I believe they win this game 31-28, to not even needing the two. So to recap, we're going to take the C uh, Seattle Seahawks plus three. We're going to take the Cowboys minus four and a half. We will take the Broncos minus one. We will take the Rams minus four and a half, and we will take the Vikings plus two. Uh, if you're looking for bonus picks, uh, some other picks that I look strongly at is, you know, that game in Foxborough is weird. Uh, I believe the line was uh, six and a half, minus six and a half, the Bucks and Tom Brady going back to Foxborough. So I had them throughout most of the week, but I leaned off of that because I saw another pick that I like more. But take a good close look at that. I think that game's going to be closer than people think, but I think the Bucks will pull away late. And, um... You see another bonus pick. Uh, now, this is interesting. The Titans go to New York. Uh, the Titans are minus seven, but they're going to be without their top two receivers. Julio Jones has a hamstring, and A.J. Brown, he's either got a hamstring or an ankle injury as well. So if the Jets are going to cover, I know that the Titans still have Derrick Henry, and he can run circles around people, but they're going to put like nine in a box and force them, force them to hit their receivers, their three, four, five, six receivers on the depth chart. 
So I think that the Jets have a chance to cover that plus seven. So take a look at that. If you do, bet light on that, just like I want you to bet light against the Bucks. But uh, those are a couple of bonus picks to take a strong look at. And that is this week's Frozen Five. All right, so with that, sorry, mix up there on the music. Uh, <laughs> that has been an unfair solo weekend uh, with your boy Jimmy. Uh, appreciate y'all listening to the production team, Mike, Bob, and Wendy. Appreciate you for holding it down, doing what you do. Uh, Jay, always bringing the fire. Appreciate that. Check out the OSG report. Uh, the video should be up. Uh, the podcast should be up on all of our usual outlets of this week's fantasy players so you can make some money in daily fantasy, DraftKings, FanDuel, etc., etc. Um, shout out to the OSG as well. His report, if you like like to read the report in written form like I do, it's on Medium, uh, the app Medium, where we have some other articles as well where we post written content. Uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, see who else? All of our loyal listeners. We appreciate that. When you suggest the show to other people, we definitely appreciate that. Uh, as again, co-host Jay, always bringing the fire. Appreciate him doing what he does and his major, major contributions to the show. Uh, please be safe out there. Love yourself. Love somebody. Uh, please socially distance if you choose not to wear masks so that we can continue to see these COVID number fall, numbers fall. And uh, if you feel the need to do so, if you feel strongly about it uh, and you're able to, please get vaccinated as well to further aid in us defeating this awful, horrible disease that has claimed 700,000 of our American brothers and sisters and thousands, millions more around the world. So hearts, prayers and thoughts go out to them as well. So do the best you can to protect yourself because we're still not out of the woods quite yet with this. And with that, it's been unfair. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.